pages of Professional Investigator Magazine comes PI Magazine, the podcast. Join us each week for the latest in the world of the professional investigator. Exciting guests, new equipment, marketing tips, software, PI advice, and more. Learn what's new and exciting with PI Magazine, the podcast. This episode is brought to you by... What do you do when you get calls for bug sweeps? Did you know usabugsweeps.com, the number one TSCM provider in the country, pays you a 20% commission for converted sales leads? Stop turning money away. So save time and make money today. Contact usabugsweeps.com today. Apple Investigations, New Jersey's leading investigative firm. Have a case in New Jersey? Now you've got a guy. Visit appleinvestigations.com. Now let's join our hosts and the publishers of PI Magazine, Jim Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli. And welcome everyone to this episode of PI Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos. I'm a licensed professional investigator based in Southern New Jersey and co-publisher of PI Magazine. Working to board today and hopefully pushing all the right buttons is our good friend and frequent PI Magazine contributor, Detective Jack Russell. Jack and I are joined this episode by my co-host and co-publisher of PI Magazine, Nicole Cusinelli. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Good evening, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. What's going on? Anything good? I don't know. Twice in two weeks. It's <laughs> twice a in two weeks. That's right. <laughs> a new record. We're on a roll. We're on a roll here. So tonight we've got David Ferrante of Ferrante & Associates on the podcast. We're going to be chatting about criminal defense work and some judgment enforcement and skip tracing. Uh, but first, we wanted to mention a book. What do we have on tap tonight for our book? We have a series of books on marketing by author John Hoda. Uh, John Hoda is a licensed PI, is a blogger, and a uh, podcaster. He also coaches other PIs on how to be successful at PIcoach.com. John also writes for the magazine in the, uh, the marketing department, and he has a wonderful series of books out. There's three separate books, basically how to take your business from the very beginning through, you know, the, I guess, the more experienced or the, the longer-term business owner. Uh, the three books uh, that he has, How to Launch Your PI Business, How to Market Your PI Business, and How to Boost Your PI Business. Now, if you just want to condense all those into one big book, the, uh, the fourth book he, uh, he puts out there is How to Rocket Your PI Business, and that really is a combination of all three books. Great seller. Uh, we've sold many of these at the uh, big hit of the conferences, Jim. Right. So John's a good friend of ours. And what's really cool with John's books are you can either buy any one of the three or you can buy all three combined into the, the How to Rocket Your PI Business. And all three of those books, actually all four of those books technically, um, are available at pigear.com on the book tab. Who's our guest tonight? This evening, we are thrilled to welcome David Ferrante of David Ferrante and Associates Detective Agency. David Ferrante is an Army veteran and a retired police supervisor from Ohio. He attended the University of Akron and graduated with an AAS in criminal justice. He then attended Malone University in Canton, Ohio, and graduated with a BA in public management. David Fronte has been a licensed investigator in Florida since 2017 and has specialized in criminal defense and skip tracing. He also has received training in judgment enforcement and collections. David, we're very excited to have you on the show tonight, and we welcome you to PI Magazine, the podcast. Uh, thank you, Nicole. It's an honor to be here with you and Jim. And Jack. Don't forget Jack. I just got the look from Jack. 
<laughs> and with Detective Jack Russell. We keep him on the other side of the glass, and we don't allow him on the microphone side, although I've been getting um, actually getting a lot of emails and texts about why doesn't Jack ever get to speak, so we are going to have to put him on one evening. But Dave, welcome to the show, and Nicole did a little introduction. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Sure, sure. So uh, after high school, um, I was uh, the typical C average student, didn't even think about college, so it wasn't an option. Um, 17 years old, graduated, joined the Army, just like that. So uh, a month after graduation, I was in the Army. Uh, I stayed there for four years, loved it, and got, got to see a lot of the world, and was in Europe, and, and did a lot of traveling. It was great. And uh, two of those four years, I was an MP. And obviously, as an MP, I got to do um, some law enforcement, some investigative type of things. I worked with Army CID, which is the Criminal Investigative Division, um, I was a member of the drug suppression team, also known as DST, and there I worked undercover and 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 bought drugs and and worked with informants. So I, I got some limited exposure to um, investigative work, detective type work there. Um, then, obviously, four years later, I, I realized it was time to get out. Uh, I was excited to get out. <clears throat> uh, natural thing to do when you're in the military is to start taking civil service tests. So. Came back home to Ohio, uh, started taking civil service tests. I thought maybe I'd get lucky enough to be, be a fireman, you know, one day on, two days off. Uh, but wouldn't you know it, I scored so high that they made me a policeman. So uh, <laughs> 20, 20 years on that job, I was a, I was a policeman in Ohio. It worked out pretty well. I stood in the wrong line. I should have been a fireman. You know, I used yeah. to see those guys, you know, the, the schedule, the work schedule. And now, you know, a little jealousy, the work schedule and barbecuing, playing with remote control cars and all that stuff. And uh, But that that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, they get a workout. They eat good. Everybody loves them. Everybody's happy to see them. Yeah, they, they, they had the life. <laughs> Tell us about David Ferrante and Associates, your investigative company. Yeah, so I left uh, the police department in 2010. So when I got out, I wanted to obviously go into business uh, for, for myself. You know, after 25 years of being under governmental control, I wanted to, to you know, to try my hand at free enterprise. So I, I got into some some business ventures. I learned how to sell, that that sort of thing. It worked out pretty good. I cut my teeth, if you will, in, in the sales process, and it was good because eventually I ended up obviously uh, launching uh, my business, Dave Fronte and Associates, um, as a detective agency here in Florida, uh, when when I first got down here in 2017, uh, there was a a, a, re, a retired chief, a former chief of police, in a in a small community outside of Sarasota, and he uh, was in the newspaper. He had made some big splash with this with this uh, with this great case, and you know there was a short bio that he was a you know, a small town chief turned investigator, and now he's you know helping crack cases or helping defendants. Um, clear the names with bad arrests or bad policy violations, just things like that. So I was intrigued. He was looking for somebody, and I reached out to him, and he became my mentor for the next um, year and a half, two years, and it was a, it was a great experience. So that's sort of how I got started was uh, was going that route was, was under somebody else's mentoring. So where you're at now, what do you specialize in? <clears throat> yeah, so it, um, obviously from that, it was mostly criminal defense work. Um, that uh, that he, you know had had one attorney that I was assigned to, and he had a bunch of cases, so so I stayed busy, and I, I was able to help out with the other um, investigator or investigators with their cases. 
Um, so that experience led me to believe that oh, I'm going to be able to to uh, to crack this nut on my own. I'm I'm ready to, to launch. So when that time came, I got everything going, and I obviously I wanted to go right back into criminal defense. And I had you know I had the experience now. I had the the language down. I was familiar with the local courts here and, and how that process worked. It was different from Ohio, so um, you know I became well versed on that. Sure enough, I you know had everything in place, the licensing, the insurance, all of that was was ready to go, and I didn't have any clients. <laughs> so I you know scratched my head and I was banging my head against the wall trying everything and paying thousands and thousands of dollars to start it. But but um, I knew that I had the criminal defense uh, aspect to that. I had that acumen, if you will, so I, so I could work in that industry and do a good job. The problem was convincing somebody to get started. Um, after a lot of trials and tribulations and failures, I finally cracked uh, um, an attorney that would give me a chance. And then when I did, you know, I, I worked my butt off to, to, to prove that I was I was worthy. And, and from there, it's just it's just taken off. But it's just getting that that first attorney started. But yeah, it's criminal defense. Um, obviously, as I as I mentioned too, that there's a lot of uh, policy review, case review. Um, Doing a lot of things that you would do as a police supervisor. My last few years on the department, I was a sergeant, and I reviewed case reports and looked for, you know, obviously probable cause to make sure that the elements of a crime and a report were there. Um, I used to tell my guys on the force, hey, if you're writing this report, and after I would critique it, if they didn't match up to the elements of the crime that they were writing about or they didn't uh, clearly articulate that they follow policy, I'd have them put it in the report. To me, it, it's sort of you know, it came natural for me to to do that, to review these reports, to critique those reports, and um, it was a natural sort of segue into criminal defense work, basically doing the same thing, just on a different level and for the other side. Now, Dave, we don't make assumptions for our listeners, uh, so can you tell us what actually is criminal defense work and with criminal defense work, what it is that you do exactly? Okay, so um, right now I have some. Uh, I have a great de- degree of exclusivity with uh, with a, a Tampa Bay law firm. So Brian Hatfield Reeves, and um, the, the the main attorney of that firm, Mark O'Brien, he's got a federal client. So I handle his federal cases for him, and that's probably about fifty percent of my my workload is, is the federal cases or the federal case. And then uh, there are two other attorneys in that firm. Dispatch um, a significant amount of work to me between the two of them, and that makes up for the other fifty percent, obviously. And, and those are state cases, and they, those can be anything from uh, you know a, a typical traffic stop by um, a Florida Highway Trooper or or local police officer or sheriff, and um, they, they have probable cause to make a stop. They encounter the driver of the vehicle or occupants of the vehicle, and then somehow they get into the vehicle and they make a search, and then obviously reviewing um, the elements of that, that crime if they find contraband. And that, that's a typical case. I work a lot of those type of cases where I'm reviewing the probable cause, reviewing the, the cause for the search. Um, if, there's, if there's warrants involved or if there's, there's other circumstances involved or there's witnesses involved, I review those statements. There's a lot of, uh, of you know, victim review, um, background information. You know, I've heard on the, the podcast before you guys talked about different data vendors, and I've, I've got a couple of them that I use for, for resources. And it's, it's very important to, to do a variety of these, um, to use a var- variety of these resources to, to do these checks and to follow up 
uh, you know, from the police report because obviously that's just the starting point. I get those reports. That's the starting point for my uh, starting point for my investigation, and then from there, you know, it, it's a case review and, and then get into the case and the, the the nuts and bolts of the case. I do a, a small amount of criminal defense work. That's not really a, a mainstay of my PI business, but a lot of the criminal defense work that I do involves going out and re-interviewing witnesses that may have been mentioned in a police report or trying to find additional witnesses that for whatever reason law enforcement just didn't either include or didn't contact. Do you do a lot of that also as it relates to the criminal defense work? Oh, sure. <clears throat> sure. And a couple of cases where um, I've had the police report you know, to review, and there's, there are witness statements in there, and then I go back out again, try to re-interview those witnesses, and then I find out that there are uh, other witnesses or maybe omitted witnesses that uh, just weren't, weren't uh, either spoken to or weren't documented in the report. So it's so important that I, I again, go over that report, go over the witness list, uh, the discovery, if you will, because in that discovery that comes back from, from, the, from the state attorney's office in that adversarial process, you know, there's generally a, a list of, of um, witnesses that they plan to call, the state plans to call, to use, use for the prosecution. So that's, again, that's just the starting point. Once I start talking to those witnesses, often um, they'll lead me to other witnesses or other people that are in the area that I can possibly talk to. And then sometimes there's video uh, uh, with all the technology that's out there now. There's surveillance video and, uh, uh, you know, private and public video that, that um, sometimes is overlooked and, and could be beneficial to our client. And then, you know, bringing that stuff to the forefront is so important to the attorneys. And you know, what, what, I, what I share with the attorneys is that, you know, you, know, you may not always like the results, but I, I'm going to bring you everything that I, that I can find. So you have the truth. Because the key in, in criminal defense is that the attorneys are not blindsided. I mean, they're my clients. I work for them, and I want to do a great job for them. And if it clears their client, that's great. Or if it helps them get a reduction in their sentence, great. But if it doesn't, that's also good because then the attorney knows exactly what he or she is dealing with. So it's very important. So, yeah, there are plenty of witnesses that are out there and maybe additional evidence that sometimes is not discovered, but I discover it. So, Dave, can you give us uh, just a general example of uh, an investigation you performed that changed the direction or perhaps even the outcome of a case from the initial investigation? Sure, sure. I've got um, several examples of, uh, I mean, that, that it's easy to brag about cases that, you, that you've that you won, and especially in criminal defense, because you, you don't win a lot, but you mm-hmm. win some, and, it, and it's great. But um, most recently, I was um, working a case out of, um, outside of St. Petersburg, Florida. So the coastal community there, and it's a big, big party area. And keep in mind, we're not as restricted as you guys are in New Jersey and New York with the COVID thing. So our bars are open, the restaurants open, and this was the, an incident at a bar, and it was a, a crowded bar. There were a lot of people there. And um, in this particular incident, our, our client was accused of um, the slap of a security guard. Our, our client was drunk, and um, he was in the bar and was having a good time. There were witnesses that, that indicated he was having a good time and wasn't a problem. At least the witnesses that I found said that. But the police report was very, um, very limited, said that there was a licensed security guard there in full uniform, clear display of a uniform that was slapped, and then they charged him with a, a felony. So if you, in Florida, if you um, assault or batter uh, a security guard, a, a licensed uniform security guard, it enhances that 
what would normally be a misdemeanor battery charge to a felony. So uh, I went into the bar uh, a week later, about the same time, and uh, took my body cam, my surveillance equipment, and just walked around the bar, just tried to blend in, got some footage of that. The, the security guard that they described um, was actually probably more accurately depicted as a bouncer. The large guy at the front door, he had a jacket, um, no uniform, nothing on him said security, no badge. And uh, to be, be quite honest, he kind of looked like the, the kind of guy you, you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. He was just, just a great big fella. And our client was a small guy. So the size difference, it just didn't seem like it, like it made sense. So, again, getting that footage, getting some, some still images, uh, running it back, you know, comparing the size of those two, talking to some other witnesses. Again, they reiterate that our client was not the guy that, that, that did this that night. They said, you know, he was, he was in a good mood, got escorted out the bar, nobody saw, saw the alleged slap. Well, the key part of this element was that the licensed security guard was in uniform and licensed. So I, I took to the, um, the public record search and, and used some of that, some of, some of that open-source intelligence that, that you do, and I found that the security guard was in fact not licensed he was suspended and he had quite the criminal history wow. so bringing bringing the totality of those circumstances to light to the uh, obviously to, to to my client the attorney and then he brought it to the, the prosecutor's office the charges were completely dropped wow, not great. reduced yeah. dropped great wow. work that was, it was a big win for us yeah and that was that was recent that was within the last couple of weeks Dave, we're going to hop out for a quick commercial. And when we come back, I want to chat a little about some discovery. And uh, let's talk about maybe some of the work that you do as it relates to review of discovery. So everyone hang on. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. This episode of PI Magazine, the podcast, is sponsored by Scope Now. Social media investigations and internet research are an essential part of any modern investigation. ScopeNow allows you to spend less time digging around and looking for information by automating your social media investigations. To try ScopeNow free for seven days, call 1-800-252-1437 or visit scopenow.com slash PIPod. PI Institute. When it's time for some additional training or continuing education, check out the PI Institute of Education. All courses are new or recently updated and are taught by owner Kelly Riddle. Get the latest information to help you stay on top of industry trends and techniques. Go to PIinstitute.com and start your training now. TLO. Looking for a powerful database to aid in your investigations? TLO's powerful database analyzes the information you provide and delivers results within seconds. Solve cases faster, easier, and more affordably. Investigate deeper and solve cases faster. Learn more and sign up for your free trial at tlo.com investigators. Now back to our hosts, Jim Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli. And welcome back, everyone, to this episode of PI Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos, here with my co-host, Nicole Cusinelli. And we're speaking this evening to David Ferrante of Ferrante & Associates from down in Florida, where it's much warmer than we're at now. And David, when we before we took our break, I mentioned I wanted to chat a little about some about discovery work and i know you know all of our reader or readers our listeners probably understand what discovery is uh but i know with 
my criminal defense work, more and more of that criminal defense work that I've been tasked to do is review of discovery and uh, twofold, a lot of review of what is provided in discovery and more importantly, what is not provided. And also going over video in, in our particular state, New Jersey, and I guess it's you know all across the nation now, almost all the statements are being video recorded. Um, so several of my attorneys say, I, I want you to watch the video and write me up a little report on, on with bullet points as to what we need to talk about and where we need to focus our attention. So I, I get a lot of work from attorneys that say, let's make sure that we have all the discovery. And I'm amazed that how many cases come across my desk where I'm looking at the package that is provided by law enforcement or the prosecutor's office, or, you know, some, some cases would be district attorney, but actually how much is missing? Um, do you get a lot of that where discovery, although supposed to be provided obviously in full that there's things missing and, and you, you found it just items are missing in the discovery packages. Yeah, Jim, I, I sure do. And, and it's, uh, it's almost common practice down here. So apparently it's not just a Jersey problem or a Florida problem. It's probably in other places the same way. And to me, at first, in 2017, when I first started doing this, I was kind of shocked that, uh, you know, Brady versus Maryland, you have to disclose that stuff. But it's almost like pulling teeth to get everything. And you've had episodes before about public record search and how to obtain a lot of that stuff. And those skill sets, you know, to learning how to make those requests and learning how to, to follow up and, and to get a hold of maybe the chief records clerk because they're ultimately accountable. And I remember you guys actually talking about that on a previous episode. It, it's very important. And, and you know, you, could, you can send those requests online, but following up with a phone call, making those communications, you know, I, I, you get more, more flies with honey, obviously. So I, I always call and I'm, and I'm nice. I use those, those soft skills to, to get that information. But really, you shouldn't have to in, in that process. Everything should be included. But, but as you said, it's not. So that's where, obviously, doing a good review and having some experience, in obviously, in law enforcement is helpful because you recognize that, hey, something's missing here, and then this should be here included. Or the officer wrote this, so where's the evidence to support that? It's missing. And... Um, I don't know if it's by happenstance or, or laziness or what, but um, when the records come through and, and that discovery is, is sent sent through, I mean, I, I, would, I would venture to say 90% of the time something's missing, even on the federal case. And that, that it, it's a pain, but, but you, you know, that, that's what we're there for. That's what we get paid to do. Yeah, and Dave, I mean, obviously your, your previous experience in law enforcement allows you to view it from the other side. So, you know, not only do you have that feeling that something's not right, but you know what to look for and what to recognize. You know what's supposed to be there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, I mean, having that, that experience is, is probably invaluable. Having said that, too, I've, I've worked alongside another investigator. She was, she was, uh, um, uh, came from, like, the medical field, and she did some type of medical investigations there. And she was great with criminal defense. She was able to, to tear apart a report and... and look for missing things and she'd have a few questions about about maybe laws or probable cause and, and the elements of a crime but for the most part she got it but I, I really do think that we do have an advantage having that that prior experience when you've got years in law enforcement that you can recognize that stuff more quickly when i work for um and i'm thinking one particular attorney that i do criminal defense work for i always ask for the body cams of the the police yeah. agency and i'm surprised that when we get the discovery package 
uh, from a lot of police departments, they don't provide the body cam video as part of the case file, which in, in my opinion, is part, it should be part of the case file. It's, it's recording. It should be provided to you. And I can think of one police department in particular that when I follow up and ask for the body cam, uh, they, don't, they don't maintain it. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. That's what they tell me. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. And we're talking cases that we're not talking a case from like, you know, the 50s. I mean, I'm talking a case from like, by the yeah. time I get it, maybe it might be 30 or 45 days old. And they're telling me the video doesn't exist any longer. And it's, it's always, there's always contention there about trying to get that video because I, I know there's, there's always little gems hidden yeah. within that video. And, and this particular attorney loves for me to watch all the video and see what is done. And if it's, if it's consistent with the reports and consistent with uh, what is said that has been done, but I have great difficulty in getting the body camera footage from a lot of departments, not just one, uh, but a lot of them. Uh, most of the other video, they'll give it to you, or if, if they forget to, you ask one time and you'll get it, the booking video, or um, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll get a bad link to a, uh, an interview video, or by the time I go to download it, the link's not good any longer. I mean, that, that stuff you work through and it's pretty quickly rectified, but the issue with not getting the body cam video is, is one that just drives me bananas. And I wonder, do you run into similar situations where you ask for maybe video or audio recordings and it's either not given to you or they tell you it doesn't exist any longer? Oh, oh yeah, Jim. Uh, I, I had this experience um, <clears throat> just, just recently on a case where often, actually deputies were on, on, the, on the scene of a, um, it, it was a warrant, sort of an early morning raid type thing. And one body cam was was produced, and there were, I, I swear, in, in in his body cam, you could see at least twenty other deputies there, and you could see in the body cam the other deputies were wearing body cam. So naturally, start requesting that and requesting it, and then I mean, it, it went so far, and, and it got argumentative that I had the um, uh, the legal advisor for the for the sheriff's office on the phone, and we, we were kind of you know, arguing with each other about it. And, and he, the short version was, he says, well, I can't be responsible for these deputies. At the end of the day, they have to download them. They, they have to, you know, come back to the station, download them, you know, check it in, and then and then make sure that, it, you know, they follow the procedure right. So, you know, asking for a copy of the procedure and find out what the procedure is and see if they violated that. And, I mean, that's all part of this. You know, I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to do that job, you got to do it right. And if you got procedures in place and you violate those procedures, then did you violate the client's due process? I mean, it's, it's all part of that. And, you know, they've got to provide that stuff. They're I don't buy that any longer. Sorry. I mean, you know, maybe 30 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, when I was still on a job and video first started coming into play where at the end of the shift, you know, as, as a sergeant, I would have to go out and take all the cassettes out of all the cars, out of the little lock compartments in a trunk and replace them. But but now, right. I, when I retire, I mean, everything is digital. When the patrol car backs right. into the police it station, uploads. it uploads automatically. Yeah, that's... And the body cams do it the same right. way also. So I, when they tell me that, you know, or I hear, and I've heard it just like you have, well, you know, we can't, well, you are responsible for it. I mean, you are responsible for that. And you can't tell me that 30 or 45 days after an incident that some video or audio doesn't exist. Not in today's world where mm -hmm. hard drive space is, is so cheap. And, you know, we got places with terabytes you know, available on a daily basis, not no longer megabytes. I mean, we're talking terabytes now and uh, hard drive space is so cheap. You, you can't tell me this stuff doesn't exist. And there's, yeah, every state has different rules, but there are rules in every state that requires the the storage of 
evidence and video for a certain period of time, yet I constantly run into that. Well, it's no longer available. I'm, I'm thinking of one case I did recently where, just like you, I got a dash cam video from a car and I'm watching you know, four or five officers walk around. They all have body cameras on. None of that was produced. It no longer is available. I got one dashboard camera, but I was able to get really, really good footage from a tow truck. <laughs> And one of the tow trucks that responded to the accident, the tow truck driver had a DVR in his tow truck, you know, front, back, inside. He had four views in his tow truck, and he was wearing a body cam, which linked into the same system. This guy gave me phenomenal stuff, but the law enforcement agency didn't have anything available anymore. And you didn't need a request for that, probably. Right. Yeah, he just gave it to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I wear a body cam. For process serving, and, mm-hmm. and I, I have it available just in case I need it. So I mean, I just it, it blows my mind that they don't have that ready, and and you know they're perplexed when we ask for that. Yeah, and the days where, like you said, Jim, the the, the videotape fell in a puddle or it degraded over time. Those days, right? Or, or they, you know, you re-record, you keep <laughs> right. them for thirty right. days and you re-record over them and yeah. all that. But th- those days are gone. There's no more tapes. Yeah. You know, there's no DVDs now. It's all digital and the stuff's uploaded automatically. But it's just, it's very difficult to get it. And as as you said earlier, I get discovery packages all the time. And there's sometimes there's obvious things missing. I mean, ha- how did they forget to put the booking report in, or or how did they forget to put the the officer's report in? I mean, ha- how do you forget that? And quite often, attorneys, right. you know, if they don't, if he or she, Mister Attorney, is not super well versed on what to look for, a lot of times they simply, and this is the one case that I'm thinking about, or one attorney, I should say, is his practice was to review the documents that were submitted to him in discovery. And he never actually spent the time to look at what hadn't been produced. And when I came on board with him, I said, you know, there's there's a lot of things that you're missing because you're reviewing what's available, but it's clearly not everything that should be provided. So uh, he has retained me and every case he gets, I just go through at least at the beginning, even if he doesn't retain me to do interviews, I'll still go through the discovery package just to see what, what up is clearly not included. And almost every case that comes through, there's very few that come through that you can't find something that is either you're later told is not available, doesn't exist, or we forgot to put that in there. Uh, every single case, you, there, there's something that's missing. And if, if the attorney has only been reviewing what is provided, he or she is missing a lot because they don't know, they don't know what they don't know if, you, if they just review right. what's provided. And, and I find that is my job to say, well, here's the the 50 documents that you've been provided, but these are three more that you should have gotten that I'm fairly sure exist or should or should have been provided to you. And that's we, we often get a lot of good information from the things that just aren't provided up front. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know you just you just got to keep keep asking and keep requesting and, and and stay stay diligent like a dog on a bone. I mean, you know, once I'm on that case, and I'm sure you're the same way, Jim. You know, just you just got to stay with it and. You know, you know, get the answers and, and get the footage and get what you need. Or, or if they don't have it, then your your attorney's got ammunition for something else, some type of motion. And Dave, as you know, we have listeners that range from the beginning, brand new PI. You know, whether they have experience, and most obviously do, coming from other areas of law enforcement. But they're maybe you know maybe new as a PI or a veteran PIs. What can you give us like a piece of advice, a general piece of advice that 
would pertain to conducting criminal investigate, you know, criminal defense investigations that would be helpful to whether it's the new PI or the, the veteran PI, just something that uh, like a golden rule or something you could tell our listeners. Yeah, so and it's basically just building on some of the stuff we already talked about. But obviously, the starting point is that is that case report, and and down here, just about with every report, we we get either a criminal report affidavit or a probable cause affidavit, and that's always the the, the starting point. You know, as a as a former police officer, knowing that when you need to make an arrest, you got to have probable cause. So you know, looking at maybe the the reason for the stop. And then, obviously, the probable cause for the search, and if those exist, then, then you kind of move forward and make sure that those boxes are checked. So just basically being very methodical with that initial report. And as soon as I get that report, I, I take take notes and just kind of make sure. And then if I have questions, I, I write it out. And it, it, it's a very simple process for me. And then from there, I, I start building on, on the case. And then you're basically working the case backwards. So you get the get the report, you know, the case is already over, he's in custody, you start going backwards and going through the report to see what's there and, and what, what evidence supports that report. And if they don't have evidence that supports that report, obviously you still have a duty to, to, to find it if it if it exists and it wasn't wasn't there because it'll uh, inadvertently it'll come up when the attorney says, Aha, I gotcha, you don't have evidence for this and they say, Oh yeah, we do we forgot to give it to you. Here it is now. So, so you really want to you want to uncover all of that. So again, the, the attorney's not blindsided, and you're just doing the best you can. You know, we we can't uh, tell the attorney, you know, hey, we've got reasonable doubt. You know, th- this for sure is reasonable doubt. That that's up to them to decide. But we can give the the attorney a, a really good report of our findings because we did a really good job of going through that case report and looking for that missing evidence. But and that's that's key. That's where my value comes in. That I've done a really good job at that. Excellent advice. I'm hearing uh, with that, my takeaway is methodical and thorough. That's what I'm taking away from that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no hurry. You know, you go through that stuff, um, you know, one paragraph at a time. So Dave, occasionally I'll be doing an investigation, some criminal defense work, and the attorney will say, well, go out and re-interview witness A that the police have already spoken to. And Inevitably, it happens where I'll go out and I'll, I'll knock on the door and looking for witness A or, or Mr. Jones or Mrs. Smith, and Mr. Jones or Mrs. Smith is uh, not home. And next thing you know, you get a call from the police department that says, "Why were you out there? Who are you to go talk to Mr. Jones or Mrs. Smith?" And uh, you know, we're we're going to launch an investigation to witness tampering, um, that sort of thing. Do you have issues when you have to go out and re-interview somebody who's already provided? A statement to law enforcement. Have you ever had those issues where they tell you, you you're not allowed to interview that person? We're not talking a victim, um, just a, a witness. Yeah. Um, do you ever you ever run into those sorts of issues? No, uh, I, I I have interviewed a, a victim that was willing to talk to me, and she talked to me. Thankfully, it was on video, and then she changed her mind after the fact and said that I was badgering her, and of course, I had it recorded, so I was covered. So yeah, very careful with victims, but with witnesses, I, I haven't run into that so much. Um, I have had witnesses where I knocked on the door and they said, "Are you with the police?" No, I'm not with the police. I'm, I'm an investigator, and and uh, I've had the door shut on me, or said, I'm not talking to you if you're not the cops, you know, that sort of thing. And that's where, again, where it, it, it's really, really careful. I mean, it, it's really important that you, as the investigator, are careful in your approach because you know, even if you were a cop, I, I don't say, "Hey, I'm a retired officer." I, you know, 
former officer. I don't say anything like that. Law. I don't, I don't want to give the appearance that, that I'm that I'm working with the police. I let them know that I'm an investigator and I'm looking for the truth and look for the facts and just want to clarify things. So your again, your soft skills are very important. But you know, some people are are going to do that and they're going to give you resistance. I haven't had it backfire with me with law enforcement calling me and saying, "Hey, why you talk to this person?" Except for except for one victim, and you know, because I explained that. I actually had a situation where I went out and uh, attempted to re-interview a witness in a case. And this particular witness actually lived in the town where I was a police officer. And one of my former partners, who's a detective, calls me up and says, you can't, you can't speak to that person. That's my witness. And I was like, what do you mean it's your witness? Well, you're not allowed to talk to that person. That's my witness. And so well, I'm allowed to speak to anybody I want to. They don't have to speak to me, obviously, but I can at least go out and make an attempt. Right. And this went back and forth for a while where, where this person, this particular detective was, this is my witness and you're not allowed to speak to that witness. And occasionally we'll, we'll get that uh, in our state where you get the police or the law enforcement will call you up and the question is, why? who are you and why are you out there knocking on the door and speaking to inter- witnesses? And they, inevitably they throw around the witness tampering you know, I'm, I'm using the air quotes, the witness tampering, because you're out speaking to witnesses. Well, you know, it's within our right, and I'm working as a criminal defense investigator, and I'm allowed to do that. But we, we run into problems where they, 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 they somehow, and, you know, we were all cops, and, and we've all been on the other side of the fence on this one. But for some reason, they, some law enforcement still feel that we have no right to go out and re-interview a witness uh, to a case uh, as working for a defense as a defense investigator, and it, it happens quite often in our state here. And uh, as you alluded to a little earlier, I, I make it, I go to extraordinary efforts to make sure that when I'm knocking on the door, someone does not confuse me with a police, as being a police officer. In our state, it's actually a, it's it's something you could lose your license for if you somehow sure. um, make it seem that you're a law enforcement officer out doing a job. So I, I know some some PIs in our states have nice little badges and they'll wear them in your wallets. I, I'm no badges, um, nothing. So mm-hmm. because you know, every, you could say I'm not a police officer, but that may not be what your potential witness is hearing, even though you're saying it. Right. So I, I'm like my ID, my company ID. It, it says it very clearly on there. I this the bearer of this card is not a law enforcement officer; is a, a professional investigator working for a client. And and I go to extraordinary steps to make sure that doesn't happen because I know some guys that have gotten. Uh, gotten themselves in, in, in a jam. Thankfully, as you said, you know they video recorded their statements, and it's crystal clear that they never said they were a police right. officer. But that that could be what the person hears. You may not say that. You may right. say I'm an investigator, and you know they hear I'm right. a criminal investigator, and they think cop, and and that's that's been a problem. So as you said earlier, it's it's not a bad practice if you're going out there, you know if if your state allows it to video or audio record your your interviews, and it can only help you. Um, your credibility sure. and, and the cover and a little CYA there. Yeah, and I, I just to jump in, I think capturing that is of utmost importance because, like Jim said, and I'm sure David that you experience this and understand this as well is that uh, people can interpret something. Oh well, this person identified or came across to me as a police officer, and you never did any such thing. But that might be their the way the they perception. interpreted their right. perception exactly. So that really needs to be clearly defined and. I think if it's your word against theirs, that may not go over so well in today's day and age. You really need to document and capture literally everything. Right, right. It doesn't hurt. 
Dave, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about uh, some marketing, what you do for marketing and how you market yourself. So everybody hang on. We're going to be right back. This episode is brought to you by PI Gear. For all your professional investigator equipment needs, go to PIGear.com. Professional-grade equipment and advice for real surveillance experts and professional investigators. Visit PIGear.com. PI Gear, where the pros shop. Need a private investigator in Florida? Look no further. David Ferrante and Associates specialize in criminal defense for federal and state cases. With over 25 years of investigative experience and dozens of dismissals and not guilty verdicts, you'll be in good hands. Call David Ferrante and get the help you need for your case by calling 941-777-3247 or online at investigatoroncall.com. And welcome back, everybody, to this episode of PI Magazine, a podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos. I'm joined this evening by my co-host, Nicole Cusinelli, and retired detective Jack Russell on the other side of the glass working the board. We're speaking with David Ferrante of Ferrante & Associates in, from down in sunny Florida. And David, we just heard your little drop there, and it was really good, and we're glad to have you as part of the show. So before we touch on marketing, is there anything else you want to speak about other services you offer, whether it's the skip tracing or the, the judgment collection? Yeah, uh, the, just, just briefly, that, that skip tracing is obviously a natural part of just being an investigator. So when I first became a licensed professional investigator in Florida, I didn't even realize what skip tracing really was. I thought it was something that repo guys did. And it turns out that uh, you know we use those, those same skill sets and the same type of intelligence gathering that... Uh, that obviously they do and anybody does. I, I use it as a process server, and I'm a process server. So, um, and that's, um, uh, those two sort of go hand in hand. If, you, if you're looking to deliver some legal papers to somebody at a certain address, you just can't seem to find them. And the attorney's really desperate to get them served. That's where that skip tracing uh, skill set comes in handy. So uh, having that at your, your resources or in your toolbox, if you will, is very helpful. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm a member of, Nally and Fally, Naps and Faps. Sounds like a rhyme. Or, or, <laughs> All the acronyms. Rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sounds like some sort of professional help is uh, involved in there. Naps and Paps and Nally and Fally and... <laughs> All the all the E's and apps, E's and apps. Right, right. Oh, and and by the way, just to give you a quick shout out to one of your previous uh, guests and uh, an article uh, contributor to your magazine, Joe Dickerson. I bought his book. I've communicated with him, and he he was a big help. And obviously, with skip tracing, I, I thought that was a natural progression to to get into judgment recovery. And I've done some of that, and I've made some money at it already. So. Wow. It's, been, it's been very well received, and I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times, and it's—I it, mean—it it was really great. So, thank you both for for having him as a contributor to your magazine. It was—it's it, uh, it, it flipped the light switch for me. It's really helped out a lot. Yeah, Joe's book—we uh, we have it at pigear.com under the books tab, and that's been a fast seller. And I was I was surprised because I I really looked at and even with with you as I when you said you did enforcement and and judgments and all. I mean, it is. That is just something I, I just don't have the knack for. I mean, it really takes a certain type of person to be able to do that. And I just, I could never get my arms around it, even with Joe. And Joe said, look, you, you can you can make a decent buck out of it and you can be good at it. And I just, I just couldn't do it. Um, it I tried and I, I've read his book and his book was fabulous. And it's just not something I'm good at. I'm, I'm a firm believer. You, you do, you stay within your lane and you, you do what you're sure. really good at. And that was just something I, I just, I just don't have that skill set. And, 
and Joe is is the best. I mean, his books are fabulous, and when we've had him on the show, we got lots of positive feedback. And just like you're saying tonight, we get calls and emails all the time from people that have purchased that book from us, and they say they they've really used it to uh, pivot, and they're making some money out of it. I just I just haven't been able to do it. Yeah, well, and like you said, it, it's not for everybody. But in, in this case, you know, I thought I'd give it a shot and and learn what I could learn, and uh, it, it I think it's a fit for me. And it's still developing. I'm still learning. But um, again, when you you start getting paid from it, it's it's pretty it's pretty easy to get excited about it. So, what are some tips, or how do you market your agency? How do you market yourself, other than advertise on PI Magazine, the podcast? <laughs> what other marketing <laughs> yeah. tips do you have? What else do you do? <laughs> that last ad you had was fantastic. I know it's great. Yeah. You got to call that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So the short version is. You got to do a little bit of everything, in my opinion. You know, I'm, and I'm definitely not, you know, a number one marketing. But you know, I went to college, I got some skill sets, I developed some things, and a lot of things I learned through failure. So it, it, and it costs money. You know, you, you spend money and you try a few things. It, it's hard now. Obviously, as an investigator and being a member of these associations, you, you sort of you, you can sort of take a shortcut because other people can tell you, hey, listen, that didn't work for me. This worked for me. And if you ask enough people and your sample size is large enough, you kind of know what to stay away from and what, what works. Now, for me, what works is, I, you know, I'm cheap by nature. And I don't want to spend tons and thousands of dollars on, on, on marketing. I just, just don't want to do it. And I, I've tried too many things that failed. So what, what for me worked was I, I started writing letters. I, I looked up attorneys at the Bar Association. You know, I started Google searching attorneys in my area. And I, I started carefully uh, crafting one-page letters with some attention grabbers at, at, at the top to let them know that I was available to them and I would I would throw out something that I'll work a case for you for free to get, kind of get started to prove my worth. And uh, I, I literally sent out 100 letters to get one or two responses. So naturally, you want to send out three or 400 letters to get a few responses so you got to crack it, you know, a, a shot at getting some work. But when you think about it, I mean, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're writing a letter. You sort of have a template there, and you can kind of change it a little bit for the particular attorney. And if, if you research that attorney and you get an idea on what kind of cases they work, which is also public record, you can kind of tailor your letter to that attorney. And, I, I, I mean, I got better at the letters, too. So I started sending those off, and I started getting phone calls, and I got a couple of sit-downs, and I got work. So that, that's what, what really worked for me. And then one other thing that I did was along those same lines was I'm looking up the attorneys on the court case docket. If you do a case search, and depending on the county and, and the, the, the court circuit, you can punch in a lot of information. Sometimes the attorney's information and all of their cases will pop up. So I got the, the crafty idea to, to go to the courthouse. I put on you know court clothes, so I, I looked apart. And I, I didn't want to interrupt them. I wanted to be respectful of their time. You know, Attorneys don't want to waste their time. And uh, I was armed with a 30-second elevator pitch. And I would tip, you know, after, after watching a few and, and listening to, to how the court proceedings were going, they'd exit the courtroom, they're talking to their client, and then they'd sort of part ways with the client and head for the elevator or head for the stairs. And that was my opportunity. So I'd, I'd do the walk and talk, and that was my 30-second pitch. I'd leave them with a card. It was friendly, maybe a quick handshake, pre-COVID, and then I was on my way. So that, that worked as well. Um, I, I was in the court hall I don't know, 2018, end of 2018, for an entire day. The next day, I had, I had a law firm that hired me. So it, it, it worked. I mean, that, 
you know, it took a little bit of effort, but it, it paid off and it didn't cost very much, just some time. So the takeaway from that is, and we get, we should do a whole show just on marketing. Yeah. Get John on to do a whole show, John Hoden, cause he's a marketing guru and just talk about marketing. But my takeaway from that is you identified who your potential client base is, which obviously is attorneys. And you went, you mm-hmm. went there and I'm using there as meaning court where the attorneys are. Occasionally I hear other new PIs and, and these might be folks that have you know, been law enforcement officer for 25 or 30 years. And now they're, they're new PIs and they're new in the business. I always say it's the business of the business where PIs fail. It's not the PI work. It's the business of the business. And quite often what, what I found is, is new PIs cast this really wide and broad advertising net where they just they market to everyone. And what I've tried to do in my own particular business model is I, I've tried to identify who my potential client base is and I market to them. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I do next is I do no SEO work on the computer because most of my clients do not come from Google searches. They come from referrals from previous clients or attorney referrals. So I I don't spend money on Google AdWords and and, uh, pay-per-click and, you know, all the Facebook stuff because that's just not where my my clients come from. Yet I see folks that they're they're just willy-nilly throwing things out there trying to see what'll work. And if I can give any advice, and it's a follow-up on exactly what you said, is the first thing you need to do is really identify who your client base is and then advertise where your client base is. If you're if you're marketing yourself to attorneys, not too many attorneys are going to say, well, let's hop on Craigslist and see if we can find a PI. You know, they're going to call they're they're going right. to call their friends. They're going to call other attorneys. Or or they're going to go to the bar association and say, you know, who who could you recommend? They're not going to hop on Craigslist, they're not going to hop on Facebook. Most of them. Then you might get a paralegal from time to time that may do that or or an office manager who may do that and say, I remember some guy was in a Facebook group, but that's, that's rare. At least in my experience, it's rare is most attorneys are going to go and call other attorneys or other law firms, or maybe firms that they used to work at, bring, bring the attorney, the private investigator with them. And some of my best clients right now have came from other law firms that I was working for. And when they started their own firm or they moved on to another firm, they sort of took me with them and my customer base has expanded that way. But it's, it's important to, at least in my opinion, identify who your, your target audience is and that's where you should market yourself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've got, as investigators, we've got a very, very niche market, you know? I mean, it's not like the service industry where, where every homeowner is a potential client. That's not us. I mean... Maybe if you're doing, you know, infidelity cases or something like that, but um, you know, that's not my field either. So, right, if you're doing criminal criminal defense, criminal defense work, your your client base are people that have been arrested. So, I mean, the attorneys. I mean, unless you unless you could somehow convince the client that you need an investigator and an attorney, if they don't have that. But it, you know, the, the short the short version is, like you said, you you go after your 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 attorneys. That's that's the market that if you're in criminal defense and perhaps even the insurance industry, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the attorneys are the ones that are going to hire you the bulk of the time. And it's, it's obviously important to market to those fellas, those gals do. Uh, you know, Dave and Jim, you know this. I probably bring this up on every single show. I, I don't know why I am in, in so in love with this idea. Uh, but Jim and I very often speak about the importance of belonging to, you know, whether it's your state association or some of the larger national associations or world associations like Intellinet or uh, NALI, or WAD, and of course where you are, uh, there's, there's FAPI and FALI. And I always come back to the networking and belonging to 
probably as many associations as you can. And I just want to get your opinion, Dave, on has your membership to any of those helped, you know, in the networking sense, help market your business? Yeah. So I was, I was a slow, um, slow learner when it came to joining those, but I'm, I'm in them now, as, as I mentioned, you know, Nally Fowley, Napson Faps. So, um, and, and it's already helped out. Now, just the, just the networking and the contact part of it, you know, that, that was built in right away. Um, Fowley has a, a forum every day when I wake up and, and turn the emails on, there's something in there with um, another investigator looking for another investigator or looking for a surveillance help or looking for a serve or something like that. So there are opportunities just, just being a member there. Um, and if, you, uh, if you're proactive, there's work there, so that's good. And then obviously the, the networking and, and establishing these, these point, points of contact is invaluable because if somebody's, you know, not in your area, and Florida's a big place, you know, across the state it's three hours away, even if it's directly across, you know, the, the, the likelihood of an investigator coming three hours to drive six hours then round trip to handle something or to handle witness interview is, is probably not going to happen. They're going to look for somebody in their network. And, and, you know, being in that network, network is very valuable for that. And then, of course, for resources, for information, if you hit a wall and you can't figure something out, you, 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 can, you can bounce ideas off of other investigators that are in that association, and they know that, you know, that's the professional forum, and, and they, all, they all seem like they want to help, and, it's, and that's been fantastic. And then NAPS and FAPS, I mean, I've gotten leads. I mean, I don't know, the second day I was active in, in that organization, I started getting process-driven leads. So, so it's great. It's been very, very, very beneficial for me. So we have a really good friend, Matt Spare, the owner in, uh, of Investigator Toolbox, which is an absolute incredible resource, and everyone should check out Investigator Toolbox. And at this point, Matt is probably leaning up to his, his, his radio saying, is Jim going to tell that story? Because he, he goes bananas <laughs> when I say that, tell him that story. So I'm not going I'm to, saying it, Jim. I'm not going to tell Am him I that hear story. The story again? No, I'm not going to say that <laughs> no, story. No, come on now. Matt will, Matt will thank me for not telling the same story again. But I, I just want to reemphasize... Um, what you said is being a member of an association and multiple associations is so important because this is truly a networking business and it's developing those relationships, those business relationships and those networking uh, friendships, if you will, with, with either folks in the same town or across the state or across the country is just so critically important. And to go to, go to meetings and, and join your associations is such a huge benefit. And I know personally it's been a big benefit to my business and and it's been it's i just can't measure it i mean it's been such a plus and and but we still have folks that for whatever reason they don't see the value of joining either a state or a national association and a lot of it i think is just financial where they they don't see the value of like our i'm president of our new jersey association nicole is the administrator of our our, our association and our memberships are our dues are like a hundred dollars a year right and i, I still shy, yeah. we still have folks in our in our state here in New Jersey, where the dues are only about a hundred dollars a year, that they simply don't see the value of joining an association, and it, it simply comes down to, in a lot of situations, money, where they don't want to spend that hundred dollars. Yet, you go to a meeting and you, you meet somebody. If all you need to do is get one one or two billable hours from an association, and it's paid for itself, and people just don't see the value in it. I know, I know, listening to you and the associations that you're a member of, I know you get it. Uh, but I'm up on the soapbox now, talk, you know, speaking to our listener base and saying, join associations; it, it'll change your business. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. I agree, 100. percent 
it definitely can't hurt. And I personally see persons like your PIs like yourself, uh, Dave in Florida that belong to the New Jersey Association and PIs in New Jersey that belong to the Florida Association. Just as just, just an example, but you know, if, if you can uh, join, I don't know if you agree with this, Jim, but join as many as you can. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm I, in probably, it can't hurt. I, I think I'm in nine or 10 associations. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and some of them, I may only get one referral a year, or you might just get one call, but that's still one call that you don't know. Is that going to be that $5,000 job or even if it's a $1,000 right. job? I mean, it's still, you know, by comparison to what it costs you to be an association and is tax deductible um, and it's marketing. I mean, people know, they'll right. get to know you and they'll see your name and it's a, it's a benefit. Yet folks still don't see the value. They, they want to be an island and they think, you know, and, and I was guilty of that, you know, also you get the business cards printed and you think they're going to come. That's not always the case. I mean, you've got to, you got to put yourself out there. And one more point I'd like to mention is that, you know, now with this new wave of these conferences going to the Zoom format, you know, before people would say, hey, why would I travel here or there when I live several states away? Well, now, you know, the, the conferences, the Zoom format, and it's relevant and you can join that conference from, from your computer. Right. And, and as example, I recently, a couple days ago, as we're recording, it'll probably, when we release, it'll probably be about a week or so, but I ended up uh, speaking at the, uh, the FAPI conference and Nicole at the same time actually spoke at the NALI conference. And we noticed that there were attendees and we use FAPI as an example, because that's a regional association, obviously just in Florida. But we noticed that there were attendees from all over the yeah, country, like Africa and Scotland, and that, that had went, had it. I'm, I'm using the air quotes that wow. went to the conference um, because these all guys the all over the world they yeah, saw the value the of it. And so it's it's no longer just that regional or that state attendees. I mean, folks are coming from all over the world. They're 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 thri- they're they're thirsty for training. They're dying for for training and and networking opportunities. And you think about it. You know, you could go to one of these conferences virtually for for pennies, just your time. There's no travel. There's no hotel. Take advantage of the Zoom conferences that are out there. And, you know, you, you, you're going to learn something and you're going to network. You're going to meet people. Sure. No, that's great advice. But I, I tell you what, I, I'm so looking forward to the day that we can actually attend the conference again. And, and, and you know, face-to-face and handshake marketing and networking, I just think that's just so so critical. We are too. We're pivoting in, in New Jersey and I think a lot of states are going to follow along and when we are able to go back to having in-person meetings and conferences, we're not going to do away with the Zoom portion of it. We're going to do like a simulcast sure. and because you know, geographically, some states, you look at like California, for example, even New Jersey, from one end of the state to the other is about 250, 300 miles and sometimes geographically, folks just can't come to the meetings because it's, a, it's literally a whole day away from the office. You're out of, out of contact for the whole day traveling. So we're actually going to simulcast it through zoom for those folks also and and make that available for the folks that maybe just can't come to that meeting because of either work issues or geography maybe the person can't come to the meeting because of the travel but they could you know they could carve out a couple hours in the evening uh, to come to the meeting or the conference but they couldn't do that if they had to drive three or four hours each way but they could just carve out the meeting time so we're going to have that as an option in new jersey is you know make it available for folks that can't be there yeah, that makes sense. And that, I mean, that's very smart, especially when you're traveling across the country. It definitely makes sense. Okay, so um, I've got a website. Obviously, it's investigatoroncall.com. It's pretty easy. Um, you, uh, feel free to reach out to me for um, you know criminal defense, witness statements, anything like that. 
obviously I do process serving and I'm a member of the association so I can be contacted for for legal service of process and if somebody out there needs help with uh, skips or another investigator I, I realize that a, a big part of your audience is going to uh, investigators naturally um, if any of them have any questions or, or would like to collaborate on anything or need any help in Florida from any other part of the country you'd be glad to do that and, and vice versa and I could be of any help to anybody um, I'm very you know very ready very willing to do that and all of Dave's contact information will be on the show notes. Um, his commercials featured on the podcast, so you can go back and play it there. And also, if you go to pimagazine.com, Dave's got a banner which, uh, with a click-through that'll take you also back to Dave's website. And we also have Dave as well uh, in the magazine, in our resources section. Right, Dave's in the magazine under the resources That's also. That's correct. Dave, we want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your input tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great talking to you both. I feel like I know you both from, from all the, uh, the previous episodes. And, and it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Dave, so much. We're going to wrap up this episode of PI Magazine, the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests and remind everyone to check out the show notes for all of this show's guest contact information and website information. My thanks to co-host Nicole Cusinelli and board operator Detective Jack Russell for another great episode. Remember to visit PIMagazine.com and PIGear.com and support the advertisers and friends who support our profession and make this show possible. Join us next week for another episode of PI Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos, and until then, remember, stay professional and keep investigating.